Representative Nate Schatzline is here with us, as I said earlier. Come on, honor is one of the values of our house. Stand to our feet and honor him this morning. I feel like I should stand. We're all standing. Y'all can be seated. He's a politician. You don't need to clap too hard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, that's the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> More than anything, Nate is a man of God, and he's been in the ministry and a pastor for most of his adult life, and um, God has just used him and his family in amazing ways. His lovely wife, Adrian, is here with us this morning as well, and his beautiful children are next door. And um, Nate is one of the founders of For Liberty and Justice, which um, is an organization, a housed vision of Mercy Culture Church. And we're just going to do, where I'm going to interview Nate, we're going to talk a little bit about some justice issues. Let's go. I'm excited. You know, it's so incredibly honored to be there. How many of you love uh, Pastor Les, Pastor Nikki, all that they've done? Before we even get started, I just have to say, we walked in and we walked through the tent and the moment we came in, I felt so spoiled to come on this beautiful fall morning when y'all have endured the weather. Um, but let me say something about that because I think it's really key that you hear it from people who don't normally come on a Sunday morning. The amount of grit that it takes to plow through and build a community like this that is truly spirit-led only comes from those that are called to do it. And um, so if you're in this room, you're a part of really the beginning. I know you've been here for, for some time, but this is the beginning. It's a cell of what God's going to do in Waco, and God chose you to be a part of it. And so it's just really, really encouraging to walk in and feel the same presence of God we feel in Fort Worth every Sunday, um, to feel the same spirit on this stage, to see the same atmosphere that comes in, and, and to truly see another church, one church, but multiple locations, but to truly feel another church that's about pleasing the Lord and not pleasing man. And so it's just special. Say, we got grit. That's right. See, some of y'all just showed up this morning. It's lovely. The weather's beautiful. Now, there was some deep, dark days in the midst of summer. When church started and it was 105 degrees in here. Ah, oh, but God. All right, we're going to keep going. So, Nate, why don't you just, just begin by telling us a little bit about the vision of For Liberty and Justice and why yeah. we need FLNJ in our city. Oh, it's huge. So here's the thing. Um, I never thought that I, like, like, right when I got into ministry, me and my wife have had the opportunity to be in ministry for the last 11 years. Uh, I said this statement um, probably about six months ago, nine months ago, I said, I'm no longer in full-time vocational ministry. Or I said, I'm not a pastor anymore. And immediately I almost got slapped upside the head by Pastor Landon. Um, and he said, never use those words again. And he said, you are just as much a pastor in the seat that God's placed you in as you were when you were leading full-time vocationally in a church. And so what was so special about really what I believe our house is at Mercy Culture is that we have these things called house visions where we allow ourselves to have one foot in the church and one foot affecting culture. And so we had this dream, uh, me and my wife and, and really other people on the team, Pastor Les was a part of that, of seeing um, reformation go out and, and the church truly be mobilized. And so our vision at For Liberty and Justice is simple, and that is mobilize the church, wake up the 
city and take a stand for liberty and for biblical justice. And um, how many of you believe that this isn't political, this is about righteousness? And the moment that people make it about politics, it's when it gets weird. Um, We've allowed the political lane to hijack our language. We've allowed politics to make pro-life or protecting babies a political issue when it was always a biblical issue. Um, We've allowed all these different issues of protecting children to be politicized when in reality, no, 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 no. We are the founders of protecting children here in the church. And so um, a couple of statistics that made us want to launch this organization was there are 90 million, 90 million voting age Christians in the United States alone. In this last election cycle, 40 million of the 90 million did not vote. That's 40 million Christians that abstained from our most basic rights to go into the ballot box and vote for righteousness. And out of that, out of that 40 million, 14 million are not even registered to vote in the United States. This, how can we expect government officials to lead in righteousness when we're not willing to do our most basic part of going out and making sure the right people are in? I believe that the hope of the world is the local church. Do you believe that in here? And so if we truly want to reform what our nation looks like and bring it back to God, which is the ultimate goal, it's not about a Republican winning or a Democrat winning. It's about the Holy Spirit being known inside of the United States of America. If we truly want to see that, then we're going to have to get involved. So this organization, very simply, uh, we do a few different things. And on the micro level, you know, we go in and we expose to churches who are godly candidates in your, in your county. The other thing we do is we have a podcast where we just blow up truth. Um, we like to say we're not a news source, we're a truth source. And so, uh, and how many know we are absent of truth sources out there right now? And so, and then the last thing we do, which is the take a stand for liberty and justice, is actually not what you'd think. Many people think that's our policymaking side, right? That's more mobilizing the church. Our taking a stand for liberty and justice is our commitment that we actually want to assign intercessors to every elected politician in the state of Texas and see them encounter God at a supernatural level. So I'm excited. It's going to be good. Yeah, I think the key to one of the keys to what Nate is talking about is the depth. We're talking about uh, deep change, not just a surface level, let's vote for the politician that we want. See, ladies and gentlemen, it's 2023, and we're in the middle of a spiritual war, not a cultural battle. And it's important to understand that this isn't a cultural battle, it's a spiritual war. And we're not talking about tax cuts and potholes. We're talking about protecting children. We're talking about the survival of our families. We're talking about the very foundation of the United States of America, of our local communities, of our cities. We're talking about um, explicit pornography in our schools. I mean, we're talking about vitally important things that For Liberty and Justice is exposing. One of the things that FLNJ does and one of the calls that we feel upon our lives uh, here at Mercy Culture is to bring clarity. And that word, I've been just chewing on it for weeks, um, really for years, but it's coming back up in my spirit because confusion and ambiguity is the friend of the enemy. You see, 
a lot of churches have crafted their message in a way that no matter where you stand on a particular issue, you can come into the church, set through a sermon, and leave feeling affirmed. Affirmed in your pro-choice belief, affirmed in your pro-life belief, affirmed in biblical marriage, affirmed um, in another belief that you have, affirmed that in, in your belief that we should... Um, we should not change the gender of children just because they said that they wanted to or affirmed in the belief that you should give children uh, hormone-blocking medication and cut the healthy breast off of 13-year-old girls. And why? Because messages are preached in ambiguity. And the reason is because we got a lot of pastors that are marketing directors and not shepherds. And a marketing director's main goal is to reach as many people with their product as possible. Let me expand my customer base so I can get as many customers as possible. But a preacher, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. See, a minister of the gospel says, wide is the way that leads to destruction and those who find it are many, but narrow is the path that leads to life and those who find it are few. A preacher of the gospel clearly draws a line between righteousness and holiness. And what happens is you get to decide. I say this often. I prefer clarity to agreement. We're not always going to agree, but you're not going to leave here confused. Because one day I have to stand before the Lord and he's going to ask me, how did you steward what I gave to you to steward? And every person in this room is going to have to answer to God. And there are people that Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Or he may look and say, you wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because you are a poor steward of what I've given you. And the fear of the Lord is on my life. And I pray that through this interview today, the fear of the Lord will be on your life to know that you will, we will all have to answer to God. Were we clear? Did we steward well what the Lord put before us? And if you're going to leave mercy culture, you're going to leave with clarity. If nothing else, we're going to leave with clarity. And that's part of the purpose of For Liberty and Justice, to help wake up the local church and to help wake up the leaders in our spiritual and our church community to not just be churches, but spiritually lead in our cities. And so this brings me to another question. A lot of people say, you know, mercy culture is so vocal about political issues, are vocal about these, we don't call them political issues, justice issues from the pulpit. And what do you say to people who think the church should just stay out of politics and just, quote, stick to the gospel? Yeah, this is a, uh, so first I would say it's a false gospel to even ask the question. So here's a, it, you know, um, that gospel is the same gospel that kept the church of Germany uh, away from interfering in the Holocaust, um, and oftentimes, you know, we, uh, not this church, but we will go into a church and we will feel that it is very affirming. When you said that, it just leapt in my spirit talking about affirmation. You know, the defining line between affirmation and demonic enablement is, is it rooted in scripture? And it's a very, very fine line. 
And oftentimes we will, you know, scriptures say that in the last days that speakers will come out and they will tickle the ears of their flock. And this will be something that feels good, but it won't be something that actually leads to good. And so I look at, you know, these political issues or justice issues as we would call them and really what they are. And I start to look at what's rooted in scripture. I want to encourage you today. And I love that our church does this. Um, but this Q&A, like, don't allow it to become in your mind just about information, but invite the Holy Spirit in this moment because he's going to begin to, like, spark your heart as we're speaking. And many of you in this room were just like me where years ago— uh, you know, I didn't ever consider myself political. I'd go vote. That's the extent. Um, I, I grew up in a house where the news was on constantly. I hated it. I didn't want to look at it. And I, well, technically, I still don't really like watching the news. But ultimately, like, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just invaded my heart. And then what I found was as, this, as the Holy Spirit was, like, sparking this, like, fire inside of me for this justice realm, scriptures started to be revealed to me. This is what it says in Matthew 16, 18. It says, on this rock, I will build my. So the original word is actually ecclesia. When you break down what ecclesia means, it's not a building with four walls and a, and a program for your kids on Sunday morning. It actually is this. Ecclesia means called out assembly. In other words, the ecclesia, when Jesus was talking about this, was a governing council that established policies, legislated, conferred or denied citizenship, and elected officials. On this rock, I will build my public square. This is a supernatural revelation when you start to get it, that God's not called us to abstain from being involved in government. He's actually called us to invade the governmental realm and begin to transform it from the inside out. Uh, you know, uh, for years, my kids, I don't know if they just love Nacho Libre, any Nacho Libre fans in here. But for years ago, I mean, this started, I don't even know how it started, but I would walk into the door after a long day uh, of, this is when we were pastors, and all of a sudden my oldest son, Jack, he's eight now, would run up to me, and the moment I'd walk through the door, he'd sprint up to me, and he would go, Daddy, I want to fight. I want to fight. And, you know, it's just like I'm exhausted at the end of the day, but he was like, I want to fight. Let's fight. And so, like, Ultimately, we came up with some ground rules, and we just had battles all the time. We still do this, but the rules are very simple. I'd sit down with my kids, and I'd say there are three rules. Number one, there are places we do not hit, right? The eyes, Pastor Les. Calm down. You don't touch the eyes. And uh, I said, there's, there's places we do not hit. I said, number two, the moment we're done with this fight, you're going to bed, okay? And number three, there are no rules, and then you sucker punch them in the stomach because life's not fair. <laughs> So we would fight and fight and fight. And yeah, yeah. You just, you got to give them a reality check every once in a while. And this would happen over and over. And it was no lie in the middle of wrestling with my boys that the Holy Spirit spoke directly to my heart and said, for generations, the church has stifled their fight, not stewarded it. 
This is where For Liberty and Justice steps in, and this is where the church, such as Mercy Culture, our church, steps up and says, hold on, we've gotten it wrong in church history. We've told them to be quiet about their passions and make in the building their passion, and God says, no, 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 we're preparing them at this altar so that we can steward the fight inside of them, and hear me, church, if we don't steward their fight, culture has has no problem taking over. And we see these social justice warriors being created out of Gen Z that don't really know truth, but they know they have a fight in them. And hear me, it is not the devil that put the fight in their heart. It is God. The devil is just the only one willing to steward it in our generation. And so we, we have to step back in. So when I hear these things of Why do we get political or why do we speak up? I go back to scripture and say, because number one, God called us to. And number two, because if the church doesn't redefine culture, culture will always redefine the church. And so we have to remember that like there's a battle. You said it already. This is a spiritual war. It's not a policy war. Don't listen to the news. This isn't a right versus left issue. This really is a right versus wrong, good versus evil. This is righteousness versus debauchery. That is where we're at in our nation. And the time is short. The time is short. You know, Nate just said it, but one of the purposes of today is not a political rally. This isn't to get you worked up to go knock on doors and vote for somebody. This is really about a wake-up call. And anytime you begin to speak clearly, and one of the reasons why the church has embraced ambiguity is because clarity uh, is revealing. Clarity reveals confusion. And when you begin to speak clearly, it always angers some people. And clarity will often anger our own flesh. And we will feel irritated. We'll feel frustrated. And there are things in our flesh that begin to to be provoked. We have to stop and ask ourselves and submit that to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, what is it that you're speaking? Why do I feel this way? Lord, reveal areas of confusion in my life. Because the enemy operates in a place of confusion. But the Bible says that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of what? A sound mind. So if you feel when we begin to talk about these things, waves of fear, if you feel waves of confusion, if you feel intimidation, lean into that space. And ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you give me a spirit of power? Would you give me a spirit of love? Would you give me a spirit of a sound mind? And ask the Lord, Lord, you defined what love looks like for me. You define what power looks like for us. You define what justice is. We don't allow the world to define these things. We ask the word of God to define these things for us. We ask the, the spirit of the Lord to define what these things mean. Because if we don't, the world and the flesh and the enemy is always ready and available to come in and confuse us to bring in confusion, to bring in an unholy and an unrighteous counterfeit to what it is that the Lord wants to do. Can I speak to that too? So, um, you know, the reality is, is that um, if you look at politicians, 
oftentimes we wonder why politics is so corrupt. But we look at the last 50 years in American history, and we've seen how the number one thing that we've heard from pastors and from churchgoers is I don't want to be involved in politics or politics is dirty. Let's just give Jesus to people. And it's a, the reality is that's both, both are true. Politics is dirty and let's just give Jesus to people still doesn't abdicate our role of being involved in politics because here's the deal. Like you don't hear this anywhere else. You don't hear, oh, entertainment is evil. The church should not be involved. You don't hear, oh, business is evil. The church should not be involved. You don't hear that. And yet we have made this. And, you know, it's so funny now being a politician, right? I prefer the term reformer from this point on. So, uh, but now being involved in government for the last, you know, nine months as an elected official, I walk into the Capitol and I'll just speak very plainly to you. There are uh, every Republican that got elected inside of the Texas House ran off being a Christian conservative fighter. And every Democrat ran off of standing up for rights and freedom for what they believe that is. And yet very few that are in that building actually believe what they ran off of. And at first it made me mad. At first it was like, how dare y'all? You know, how dare you do this? And then I started to really think about the realities of it. Is that when the church holds back from empowering people to get involved. What politicians are forced to do for a lack of support and empowerment is to prostitute the church for votes. What do we look at? And please forgive me for being crass, but a prostitute is someone who sells something that should be given through relationship. And we see as politicians are so desperate to be accepted by the church, but they're not being discipled by the church, that they'll talk the talk, but they don't even know how to walk the walk. And so I experience these businessmen and businesswomen that are in the building that have never felt a part of a church. And for years, I've held back from politics because the reality is, is that I felt this draw to bring justice and righteousness into the governmental realm but every time I would bring it up with the church leaders, not at Mercy Culture, but that I was involved with at the time, I felt like my calling was tolerated and not celebrated. When our pastors get loud about justice, God is able to put callings on the body that were tolerated in the past and now celebrated in the church today. And what it will refrain from when we do that is all of a sudden, now men and women of God will think, wait a second, maybe my calling is ministry in government. Maybe my calling is stepping in. And so understand you play a vital role. I want to just share a couple things that have been accomplished this year for everyone who thinks we shouldn't get political. This in the last nine months, this is so special because... Um, it's really just insanity to think that we've done this, but in the last nine months, I've gotten the opportunity to co-author a bill that bans sexually explicit materials in school libraries in the state of Texas. I've gotten an opportunity. So let's hold on just a second, because I want to dive into that for a moment. Did you hear what he just said? You see, um, 
the news media will tell you, and I see it all over the place, that Texas is trying to ban books. And so they're Nazis, right? That's the implication. You got a bunch of Nazis in the Texas house that are trying to ban books. There may even be people in this room who believe that. And I understand that because we're fed a line constantly about, oh, they're banning books. Can you believe it? There's, there's booths set, set up. There's people holding signs. There's people wearing shirts. I don't want to ban books. I stand for freedom to read whatever kids want to read, all of these things. But it has always been the case that adults and society has determined what is appropriate and what is inappropriate for children. This is not something new. This is not something that Texas Republicans just came up with out of the blue. Our people all across the nation right now are dealing with this. This has always been the case. Adults help to determine what is appropriate and not appropriate for young children. And the books that we're talking about, this is not a book about Anne Frank. We're talking about books that I can't even begin to describe to you what's written in these books this morning because we have young people in the room today. It is so incredibly sexually explicit that it would not be allowed on television. Many of these books would not be allowed to be read on cable TV, as explicit as it is. We're talking about the most sexually explicit thing that you can think of and imagine. Describing in great detail various acts. Two children as young as four and five years old. And so when we talk about waking up the church to these issues, when we talk about letting our voices be heard, this is what we're discussing. This is the things that we're talking about. And this is why when we flip on a light, there's agitation in the darkness. You see, darkness only has power until the light is revealed. I don't care how dark a room is. When you walk into it, you turn a light switch on. There's no fight. There's no fight between the light and the darkness. Darkness is very simply the absence of light. And when you turn a light on, the darkness is dispelled. And that's why there is such a battle to just flip on the light. To just discuss these things. To just go to a school board meeting and read the book that they're trying to keep in the schools. There's a battle. They'll have you arrested. They'll have you removed from the school board meeting. They'll have you silenced. They'll have you canceled. They'll try to get you fired from your job. They'll try to get you banned from social media. Why? All I'm doing is reading what you said should be available to my children. Why is it such a problem that I simply read the book that you're fighting to keep on the shelves for my five-year-old? Because darkness hates the light. And on that note, that's the first of our wins. I also got to co-author, I had the opportunity to co-author a bill that literally bans biological men from competing with our women in sports. <laughs> violating their safe spaces. On top of that, this is so big, I, we got to ban, I got to co-author the bill where we banned sexually explicit drag shows in front of our children in the state of Texas. These are huge. We got to ban gender mutilation procedures for minors in the state of Texas. And personally, the fight that I helped lead inside the Texas House was the fight to require online ID verification to access pornography for children. These are big. So, Nate, 
you shared with me this before. I forget the number. What when just requiring people to show an ID in order to access a pornography website, how much does that decrease the viewing? I can't remember the exact number, but I believe it was 70 to 80% it decreases in clicks. Because here's the reality, and this is, and, and I'm going to share just some inside baseball of the battle that it took to get that bill across. Um, I went to Democrat and Republican and fought for our kids. I sat down with every single member that would meet with me and said, this is something we can all agree on, that the normalization of sexual violence in the eyes of children or adults should not be allowed inside of the internet or inside of Texas. And by the end of it, at the end of the day, no one could say no to signing on to the bill. Um, and I made it very clear that I would tell the world who was not going to sign on to the bill. Wait, wait, wait. That's so good, because that only works if you're awake. If you don't care about these issues, those, that, those threats don't work. And people are angry when you just say, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Is if you have to show an ID to prove that you're above 18 to look at pornography. People get angry at that. No, we don't want you to do that. Do you know that the porn industry makes billions and billions and billions of dollars off of minors looking at their product? And they are fighting Nate and others in our House of Representatives across the nation to prevent states from, from protecting children against seeing pornographic materials because they know if they can get a 10-year-old boy to look at porn, he's addicted for the rest of his life. Now they have a forever client, a forever customer for the rest of their lives. They are fighting stuff like that. I mean, the most common sense laws and procedures to protect children, we have an entire industry fighting it. And threats like what Nate made, not the threats, really just an acknowledgement, hey, if you don't vote for this, I'm gonna let everybody know and you won't get reelected. That only works if you care. If we keep our head in the sand and we pretend like this isn't a problem and we come in here and sing, there's no place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning and then let whatever happened in the world happen, then that doesn't work. It was, uh, it was Milton Friedman that said this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, and I'm, I'm going to lead somewhere with this. But he just said that the greatest thing we could do is not to get the best people elected, but to create a political environment where the bad people have to do the right thing. And when we look at this, this is the role of the church, is to create an environment where it's unpopular to promote debauchery. We have so mitigated that role and just said, hey, you know what? We're going to worship and we're going to pray. And those are vital. I mean, there is nothing like the power of prayer. That's why we go to the Capitol. That's why we go and we intercede. However, prayer without action is asking God to do something while he's asking you to do something and then saying, I'm willing to let you work, but not me. That's what this is. Some of us are praying for an answer and God's saying, look in the mirror. And, you know, I think for years, for generations, this is what I firmly believe. For 50 plus years, we prayed for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And all of a sudden, when it was overturned, our church, we know, we celebrated. We went buck wild in that joint and recognized that babies were going to be saved and rescued. However, what happened, I believe, for parts of that time, really the latter, was that Christians, and many times we just said, ah, you know what, Lord, do it. 
And the reality is it took some Supreme Court judges like Clarence Thomas and Amy that stepped up and said, I'm going to do what the church has been praying for because God trusted me to be in this seat. And so it's recognizing that we have a part to play in this and it's vital. I shared those wins, those legislative victories that we had this session to show you that's what a small state rep in one state could, could able, was able to lead in the process of one election. What would happen if we recognized every election is the battle zone for the next generation? So good. So good. This gets me excited. Um, in your time as state rep, what, what are some of the things that have surprised you the most? Oh, man. Um, it's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. Um, I have been, uh, there's been two things. I have been very surprised at how evil can run rampant inside of a capital that is controlled by quote unquote conservative Christians. Um, and what I found is, is that the day and age is here that we have to stop voting for people who say the right things but that carry the courage to be disliked. Um, there's a spirit on that capital. I can only speak to one office because that's what I've been in. There's a spirit, and the spirit is so clear. It's fear and intimidation. The moment you walk in, it's go along to get along. It's do not be a disruptor. Do not do what is wrong. I'm going to share just a small story about this because I think that this is vital for people to hear. Um, Inside the Texas House, uh, many people believe that Texas is this like bastion of conservatism or righteousness. Um, do you know that when it comes to biblical principles and conservatism, Texas is ranked 26th out of 50 in all states for our legislature. We're not even in the top 50%. And so, however, we have been Republican-led for so long that we have been duped into believing that we're safe, when in reality, uh, leftists and really godless, I should say, godless agendas have made their way inside the Texas House and just said, hey, we're okay. Uh, I'll never forget on day one. On day one, there's one big rule. You're going in, and I went through orientation, and the first thing they said to me in orientation uh, one of the most far left, uh, you know, uh, really godless leaders steps up. They're leading orientation in the Republican-led house. And they said, hey, the best advice I could give you as a freshman, freshman is to shut up and sit down. But they said it with an expletive in there. They cursed at us. Shut up and sit down. And immediately, I just started laughing. And like... You know, like Pastor Heather always says, is like, our weapon is joy. This joy hit me in this moment where I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, there's no way. Uh, and like everyone turned and looked at me and it was like, hey, chill. And I'm like, and I literally vocally in a room of 27 new freshmen that are being indoctrinated as we sat there said, that's not why I got elected. And that's not what I plan on doing. And, and man, what I, what I would have given for them to have responded like that. Very much the opposite. And 
you know, we get into the day. I'm getting sworn in. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting my, you got, I got Jack and Andy probably picking their nose. I got Skylar asleep on Adrian right here. My mom, dad, my sister. It's a day of celebration. There's 750 people in the Texas house. Everyone's getting sworn in. We stand up on the word of God. We swear to follow the, uh, the United States Constitution, the Texas Constitution. We make our oath. And then right then it's time to elect the speaker of the house. And what I knew about the current speaker of the house was that I knew he was not, he did not allow us to ban gender mutilation or all these other bills that I just described in the last session. And I will not support a man that says the right things and does the wrong things. And I sat there and I'm on day one. And about that time, he's making his speech. And I just feel the Holy Spirit say, number one rule, by the way, is don't vote against the speaker on day one. Because your whole session's ruined. That's what we've been told. And over and over and over, don't do that. Don't do that. So I decided, I was sitting there. I'm like, all right, Lord, look, maybe I'm supposed to just get in here and move from within and, and do what God's called me to do. And maybe this is like, you know, you're going to allow me to minister to that person. You make excuses. You know, how can I lead him if I vote against him, you know? And I'm making all these things up in my mind. And about that time, I look over at my kids and I feel the Holy Spirit say, do you want to show your kids what courage looks like or what a coward looks like? And I get up in the middle of the speech and I start walking to the front of the room and all my other Republican colleagues are like, sit down, sit down. Hey, Nate, you're an idiot, sit down. You know, I'm literally getting shouted, like whisper shouted at by like people as I walk up there and I get up there and I made a speech. I didn't just vote against the speaker. One of three people, I made a speech against the speaker of the house. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't feel good. But what I learned in that moment is there is no participation trophy when it comes to being an elected official. You are either a fighter for righteousness or you are complicit in the corruption. And, and I have news for you. There's no participation trophy in the kingdom either. Revelation 21.8 lists things that will keep you out of heaven, and chief among them is the cowardly. And that word cowardly means that you have the ability to send assistance and you don't. And sometimes that's as simple as speaking up. It's as simple as being clear. And it takes, it takes courage. It, if it didn't take courage, everybody would do it. Why does everybody stumble and they can't seem to, 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 you can't nail them down. It's like nailing jello to the wall, right? It's so ambiguous and confusion and where do people stand and I don't get it. And I heard a message on sexuality last week that I have no idea where the guy stands. And it's, that's not an accident. The ambiguity is purposeful. They are intending to be confusing, because it keeps the peace. And people have embraced peacekeeping instead of peacemaking. And Jesus called us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. So you have to be clear and you have to have courage. And so you made that speech against the speaker and what happened? Uh, well, <laughs> That's a great question. We're, we're figuring it out right now. Uh, so the reality was, is it set this tone. And I want to uh, just speak life into you. 
that when you go into your workplace, you go into Thanksgiving dinner with family, and you go into moments with your children where you have the opportunity to say uncomfortable truths. Um, when you do it with being led by the Holy Spirit, it's amazing that they can get as mad as they want, but what they hate is not you. They hate how they feel about what you said. And what I felt in that moment was not this rage towards me. It was a shame towards the lack of courage in the body. And I had person after person after person not want to be seen with me for the first month of session because of what we did. The entire Austin lobby, who literally gets paid to come in and promote corruption, would not even take me to dinner. They wouldn't be seen at a dinner with me. It was great. I got to just pray and spend time with my family. And all of a sudden, when we stepped into this, I would have random people walk up to me and say, wow, that was courageous. I wish I could do that. Random members, wow, that was courageous. You've got a lot of guts to do that. And it just kept making me angrier and angrier because I had this thought of many people love when greatness comes in and truth is spoken and very few are willing to pay the price to see it done. And so what we saw was this divide in our Republican caucus, because for the first time, a group of us weren't really willing to vote down party lines. We were willing to vote down the line of righteousness. So even though he was a Republican speaker, my loyalties are not to a party. My loyalties are to the truth and to fighting for the values that we really are promoting. And so as we pushed forward, what we found was it was impossible for them to threaten us because we had killed all of our other options. <laughs> they had taken everything away from us on day one. What more could you take from us? And hear me on this. The enemy is terrified of you becoming dead to your flesh because you'll have nothing to lose. You are only a threat when you have killed off everything the enemy could give you. But when you kill the option for them and say, I'm not here for the rewards of this world. I'm here to do the obedience of what my God's called me to do. And I'll close this. I know we got to move on. But one of the things, uh, right when I got in, the day after that all happened, I called my dad. My dad's one of my best friends. We, how many you know we're in lack of good fathers in this country? And we need good fathers that are willing to step in. Well, the moment I did this, of course, the media is attacking me. They're doing all sorts of stuff. I'm on uh, Stephen Colbert. He's making fun of me for all this kind of stuff. It's wild. And in the process of doing that, I'm feeling discouraged. I called my dad, and he's trying to encourage me. And about that time, my mom takes the phone. How I many you know women of God are prophetic? And my mom tells me, she goes, hey, I just heard from the Lord in my prayer time for you this morning. God says, you can go back to church, full-time vocational ministry, and be loved. Or you can stay where he's called you, and he'll give you armor that's fireproof. Which one do you want? And... I was like, I kind of want to be liked, you know? <laughs> no, but that's, that's what God's asking us is, do you want to be a church that is liked? Oh, that's so good. Or do you want to have armor that is fireproof? Because what God did not say is that I'll make you liked and fireproof. He said, I'll make you liked or I'll make you fireproof, which means if I'm just liked, chances are I'm vulnerable to the enemy.
This is not a surprise, guys. When we read the Bible, we see every person that spoke up and spoke truth had to go through some stuff. The person that said, I refuse to bow. I refuse to worship this idol. I refuse to drink the Kool-Aid that everybody else is drinking. I refuse to believe and buy into the lies that the rest of society has bought into. There was a price to be paid. And even as a church community, we have to make that decision. And recently we saw this within our own community. The city of Waco on their official Instagram page made a post. There's a series called We Are Waco, and they highlight certain small businesses throughout our community. They send um, city employees out to do a professional video interviewing the owners, promoting and encouraging people to go shop at different establishments. It's a great thing. And they recently... um, did what, what they framed as a tea shop. And I saw the video on their Instagram and thought, this doesn't seem right. Something seems off about this. So I went to the tea shop's Instagram page and they're very blatant right there on their Instagram page that they're the official store of the Balefire Coven of Witches here in Waco. And it was shocking. There's a coven of witches called Balefire. If you know anything about the Bible, Um, Baal is a false god. And we have a coven of witches who um, worship Baal and it's, it's satanic worship. And our city thought it was a good idea to use taxpayer money to send city employees to film them to promote and encourage people to go and shop at this store where you can go to their altar, you can pay them money to cast spells for you. You don't need discernment. You just need the ability to read, to be able to see what this is. And so for Liberty and Justice, I called Nate and said, hey, what can we do? Nate said, well, let's write an article. For Liberty and Justice is going to put something together. And For Liberty and Justice made a post calling out the city of Waco. And even on something as blatant as, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not a great idea that you use my money our taxpayer money to promote satanic worship as something that we want to call we are Waco. Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. Even that, which seems like uh, low-hanging fruit. (laughs) It seems like a win. It seems like all the other churches in our community would be right on board to say, hey guys, let's not do that. This must have been an oversight on the part of the city. One rogue employee made some decision. That's what you would think, right? It's, it's what I thought, and I was naive. Because as soon as we posted it, we got major blowback. Pushback from churches. Pushback from political leaders. Pushback from every level within our city of, hey, guys, basically, you're too loud. Don't rock the boat. This isn't how we do things in Waco. Keep your mouth shut. You're not going to be invited to the next pastor's round table or whatever it is. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I was really looking forward to that. But, <laughs> oh, Lord. Maybe cut this part out of the podcast. But you would think that, hey, let's not promote Satan worship on our Instagram page would be an easy win. But it takes courage. Two days after we made that post, our worship team comes here to the tent for um, a worship night, worship room. And when they did, there was a pig that had been cut up and sacrificed on our property. I'm serious. There was a pig that was sacrificed on our property. Listen, witchcraft is real. 
First of all, this is Texas, and we love pork. And so y'all picked the wrong ones. Because if you think I'm afraid of the blood of a pig when I got the blood of Jesus. I mean, really and truly, that was funny to me. But it's real. We're in a spiritual battle. And for me, that just got me hyped up. Like, let's go. We're doing something right. But this is what happens. There is opposition to truth. There is opposition to clarity. You're going to feel it from the outside. But I think sometimes the greatest battle is what we feel on the inside. And that, that, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that fear? First and foremost, when politicians get upset that you reveal truth, they just revealed who they are. So when they tell you who they are, believe them. So from this point on, you understand who you're dealing with in the city of Waco. So it's always a gift. When you reveal truth, the response of those in power always reveals what battles you're facing. So right there, and I love, just for the record, we are very blessed for Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki to be bold leaders in this city. So the fact that I got the call from Pastor Les of like, what are we going to do about this? Most of the time, pastors are like, how can we avoid this? Pastor Les is like, how can we take it down? Like, you know, and this is what, the, because he understands the role of the church. And we're not through yet. They haven't taken it down yet. Here, so we're not through. And here's, here's the role that we play, right? Is that they, they showed who they are. They showed what this is about. Here's why that's important. Because I need you to know that like, we're gonna tout some wins like what we just did. Where we ban gender mutilation from minors, where all of a sudden Roe v. Wade is overturned and we celebrate. I wanna share one statistic and this is not to bring the mood in the room down. It's actually the call to action of what I need you to be awakened to. Because immediately the pushback that you would get from what I can imagine, I don't know this for a fact, but what I can imagine other pastors would say or city officials would say is, well, Nate, this is a free country. They can do what they want. Who are you to say that we can't promote a witch coven? Look, if you can promote Christianity, why can't we do this? We are not dealing with a passive religion. We are dealing with demonic forces from hell that are making their way into our culture. So while we have overturned Roe v. Wade and Texas state law prohibits abortion, I'm going to share one good thing and then I'm going to share the reality that most politicians won't tell you because it's uncomfortable to say we're not done yet. Politicians are really good at saying, look at what we've done when we should always divert them back to look at what we must do. So right now, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, because of Texas state law, abortions are down 97% in the state of Texas. Beautiful. What an opportunity to rejoice. What an opportunity to rejoice. But I want to share sobering news. This is why it's important that we call this out of things like a witch coven inside of our city. Because witchcraft is one of the biggest promoters. When you look at the satanic church across the nation, they, their number one issue is pro-choice. Their number one issue is the woman's right to kill a child. Their number one issue. Because they recognize 
that if they can kill the most dangerous generation to their agenda, if they can make you worried more about self than empowering the next generation, then their agenda can win. So this witch coven believes in partners with the same agenda that's attacking Texas right now, which as we're down 97% in in-person abortions, tele-abortions or telehealth abortions, the abortion pill has risen 137% in the state of Texas. That's averaging 40 to 50,000 babies that will be murdered through a pill. So we are seeing one giant goes down, but Goliath had four brothers. And oftentimes we can get so caught up in celebration, and it's good that we do, that we then forget, hold on, the enemy doesn't sleep. So when you see something like this and a politician tells you who they are and someone exposes their agenda, it's time to double down and hold them accountable at the highest level. At the highest level. I look at this political climate we're in right now. And I'm going to tell you this right now. True love is promoting truth over feelings all day. It's promoting truth over feelings all day. And so how we respond to this is we rise up and we say, okay, I'll be a carrier for reformation that is more committed to pleasing the Holy Spirit and creating a fresh aroma of his presence in our city than I am about being liked, about being popular, or about making sure that we have the most normal Thanksgiving dinner we've had. This is the call to action. We, this is the last days where those that claim to be pastors will say things are good that are actually evil. And now we have the privilege of being a part of a community that actually speaks truth and shares good. We must step up and be a part of it. We have an election cycle coming up and we're gonna go into a time of ministry here in a moment where I really believe the Lord is gonna impart courage into us. And I don't just mean uh, an understanding of courage, but a spiritual impartation of courage. So I just want you to begin to prepare your spirit for that. But before we do, I wanna ask um, you, Nate, there, I really believe there are some of us in this room that the Lord is calling to get into the world of politics. Some of you are, are being called to run for office. Uh, maybe even as soon as this next election cycle to run for office, if it's a city council, I know our mayor here in Waco is not gonna run for re-election in the May election that's coming up. He just announced recently. We need someone righteous in those positions. Who's gonna run for our school board, protect our children from the, the agenda to sexualize them? We need men and women of God and of righteousness that will stand up. If they say, hey, I feel that call to be involved in some way, maybe even run for office, what should they do? So there's two action steps here. First and foremost, this Saturday, we actually have uh, Campaign University where we are literally teaching nine different courses on how godly people can run a spirit-led race to win office and take seats in government. That's this Saturday. If you're not available this Saturday, then we're going to actually publish that course online in January so that everyone can have access to it and that we can go forward. I wanna just encourage you that out of that, 
course that we did, we have flipped like, I think like 15 seats of those that ran, 10 to 15 seats in Tarrant County in North Texas. Out of For Liberty and Justice, we have flipped 36 total seats in one year inside of one county. Just from righteous people stepping up. Waco is next. The second thing that we're doing is we are launching our chapters for For Liberty and Justice, where Waco can have their own For Liberty and Justice chapter starting this next year that literally runs rallies at school board meetings and speaks truth and runs for office and promotes candidates that share our values. It's going to be really special. And so those are the two action steps we have. So how do they get info about so that? I believe that they're going to text Liberty to 59090. Should be on your screen. Yes. I think it's and so up. if you text that number, if you're interested, we want to give you information so that we can get you plugged in, ready to go. But let me just share this. I feel like really strong. Can I just share something from the Holy Spirit on this? I feel like um, the moment I started talking, and this happens anytime I speak in a spiritual setting, the enemy will bring division like never before. Um, and I had this like gut feeling of like, oh, that's what that is. Um, it's not the spirit of our church, but it's the spirit of generational curses that we're raised in that think that a political party is something you have to be loyal to. And I just wanna like break down some walls for a second and just say this, there is no political party that can save our nation. In this room, if you feel called to the justice realm, I felt like there was this like pullback because you're like, ah, I don't like us. And insert name here, whatever candidate that comes to your mind. If the enemy can get you to hate a man or woman and keep you out of the game of changing it, then that's exactly what he's going to do. And I just feel like strongly that the Lord wants to break two things off the room. Number one is a spirit of offense, a spirit of offense from a political party that you've carried for years. And number two is a spirit of fear that's kept you from being vocal about what you know is right and what you know is true. Um, I have felt both a spirit of offense towards a political party and a spirit of fear towards doing the right thing. And I'm gonna tell you this right now, the spirit of offense is so much deeper rooted in our nation than any other spirit that we feel that when you walk into a room, and I'm just gonna share a quick story. We were about to vote on the ban on gender mutilation for minors. And as we were standing there, um, we made a deal with the far left side of the caucus of the Democrats. And the deal was, I had to shut up and let them get their social media talking points on the mic and they would let us pass the bill. Which really is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard. Is that their pride of just saying I fought for evil was so great that they're like, I don't care if you pass it. I just want a social media clip so that it looks like I fought for this. So they're up there and they're fighting and they're screaming. And about that time, and I want to share this with you, um, the bravest state rep, I get emotional when I'm 
saying it because it's just the most beautiful moment. The bravest state rep I've ever met. She's a Democrat out of Houston. Her name is Sean Theory. She's a close friend of mine on the floor. We think very differently on a lot of issues. But she stood up with tears in her eyes. African-American woman, been Democrat her whole life. She is a part of all these different things. She's known as being the antithesis of what we stand for on the floor, which is just not true. And she gets up there and she walks to the front mic. And for 10 minutes, she talks about righteousness and about how she knows she probably will never win another election again, but protecting kids is worth it. Not a dry eye as we stood there, sat there and I'm about to get up and make this speech where I'm angry that we're hurting kids and all this kind of stuff. And I realized the Holy Spirit is not looking for our rage. He's looking for the vulnerability of saying, maybe we got it wrong. And in that moment, there were Democrats that as the board is lighting up for how we're voting, started voting to ban gender mutilation in the state of Texas after they made speeches about it because there was someone willing to say, ah, maybe my offense towards this party has kept me from doing the righteous thing. And so I just want to share that and say in this room, it's very possible that the spirit of offense is not just keeping you bitter, it's actually holding you back from your calling. Could you just close your eyes for a second? Holy Spirit, would you isolate us in this moment? Just us, just me and you, just them and you. God, would you, like a window, just open the window to our hearts and let us feel your spirit come in on the decaying aspects of our heart? that we've allowed to rot for years out of a spirit of offense, out of something that was said on Twitter or something that was said in a debate or something that was said by a certain party or another party, that God right now, generational curses of being truly enslaved to this ideology that we are more loyal to a party than we are to our values. God, would you reveal the evil nature of that? And would you allow our hearts to heal from the trauma and the pain of the way we were raised and the way we were growing up? God, would you, we cancel hatred in this room. I pray right now that we would gain a heart for those who think differently than us. God, do not let political preference stand in the way of revival amongst those that need it most. Holy Spirit, would you infiltrate our heart and give us a heart for seeking you. I pray you're giving visions right now of what we're called to. You're calling people into the government realm. You're calling people into stepping into activism. You're calling people now in the name of Jesus. Now in the name of Jesus. And while we're in this space, if you're dealing with a spirit of fear, can you just put two hands in the air? A spirit of fear if you have dealt with it. We're going to cancel it right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. You know, it was during a jog one day. You can put your hands down for just a second. Keep those eyes closed. It was during a jog one day when I was living in California as a pastor. 
that I had been silent about justice issues as a pastor for the most part. And about that time, I heard the sound of a baby crying on this trail. And I took my headphones out and I looked around because I thought that there was a child near me. I couldn't find him. And another mile down the trail, I heard the same cry again. And that was the moment I realized that I wasn't hearing a physical baby crying. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if you don't step into government, that's the sound of the thousands of children that will never get a chance to live because you chose to stay comfortable. Friends, if the cry from heaven is not enough, then the opinion of man will drive your every move. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now, if you're dealing with fear, put those hands back up. Holy Spirit, would you allow the cry of heaven to be louder than the opinion of man? that God, we would, we would give in to the idea that we're going to be canceled, recognizing that only the righteous kill fear. Fear, you must go. Holy Spirit, you have to come. We cancel a political spirit. We cancel a right versus left spirit. And we say, Lord, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? Would you break our heart for those being human trafficked across the border? Would you break our heart for those dying of fentanyl overdose every day? Would you break our heart for those being sexually taken advantage of by the pharmaceutical industry in our nation? Would you break our heart, Lord, for the young ladies that are I identify as something other than their gender or the young men that have been told a lie and that are about to cut off healthy body parts for the sake of virtue signaling to a godless, godless agenda. Lord, would you break our hearts for righteousness? Holy Spirit, we invite you in to make us uncomfortable. We invite you to make us uncomfortable. Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet. If, you, if you're kneeling or if you're laying down and you stay where you are. But if you can, stand to your feet. Just put your hands up in the air. I heard the Lord just now. And he said, before I impart courage, I want to impart humility. It's like the words of John the Baptist I hear in my spirit. We must decrease so that he must increase. I just hear the Lord saying, before we yell, we need to weep. So Lord, we, we thank you for what Nate prayed. God, we ask that you would break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Oh God, that we would be weeping prophets. God, that we would weep before you that we would weep for those that we used to hate, God. Lord, show us that these people that are fighting against everything we hold dear, they are your sons and your daughters. They are created in the image and likeness of God. Break our hearts for them, Lord. Let us cry out for those that we disagree with. God, I pray that you'd bring conviction upon us if we've been arguing and yelling and complaining, but we haven't prayed for their souls. God, would you convict us, Lord?
Lord, right now, I pray that humility would rest upon us, God. Give us a meek and lowly spirit. Let us be like you, Jesus. Meek and lowly of heart.